Hello and welcome to the Bilderbard Workshop. My name is Stephen. And my name is Simon. We're not experts, but we're here to take you through building a character in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. We have a list of rules that we work from when building a character which are as follows. We each build a level 5 character using random race, class and subclass and see what we come up with. The goal is not necessarily to build the most efficient character, but to build an interesting one. We use standard array, standard racial bonuses, and characters start with 100 gold and an uncommon or rare magic item. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, just to let you know, this episode was recorded the day before D&D Beyond decided to bring out the second Unearthed Arcana relating to their plans for one D&D. Unfortunately, this second Unearthed Arcana very, very clearly states that this is all work in progress. This is not what one D&D will be. It supersedes many of the rules that we talked about in this. I will try to editing ping in with as many corrections as I can, but this is to be taken with a pinch of salt as a discussion of the first of the Unearthed Arcana that came out. And so the way that we talk about 1D&D will reflect that. And in hindsight, this may all turn out to be vastly wrong. Okay, on with the episode. Pretend that we have a functional podcast. A functional working relationship. Yeah. I fucking hate you. I shouldn't say that to someone with anxiety, because if someone said that to me, I would take them quite literally. I love you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bilderbard Workshop. Mm-hmm. This is a bonus episode. Today we are looking at the changes to the 5e rule set with what's being called 1D&D. Yes. The playtest rule set for the furthering of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So Simon, mm. how did you find this bit? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how did I find the potential for building yes. this system? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go in order of how it's laid out in the document? Yeah, it might be a good idea. So we'll start with determining your origin. Mm. You choose three things for the character, a race, a background, and a language. That's mm-hmm. what they've said. This is the first list in the document. Yes. A race, a background, a language. Mm-hmm. The The races we have are humans. Mm-hmm. Now, humans can either be medium or small. Yeah, which is, that tripped me up, but then I thought, yeah, that's right. I mean, you can live your Warwick Davis fantasy without playing a hobbit or a gnome. Absolutely. You can. There are humans that are small. There are humans that are small. I'm six and a half feet. Everyone's small to you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. A lifespan, 80 years on average. Although I believe in the PHP, it says humans live about a century. So that's, I think that's new. Hmm. Let me just quickly check that. I think they've brought some of the lifespans down. It feels like it feels like some of them, they've brought them down. And live less than a century. They just mm. gave a very... Oh, I know why they've given an exact number now, but we'll yeah. talk about that later. Since we're going through the races one by one, I just wanted to make a point yep. that some people have been saying online. And I I don't know how I feel about this, and I don't really feel like I have enough expertise in this area to yeah. argue it competently. But some people have been saying they would prefer to see the word species rather than race with all the connotations that the word race has. The dungeon dude said ancestry. Mm -hmm. A lot of the division that's come with these characters is in traditional 5th edition before Tasha's, so the at-launch version of 5th edition, you had races and races had certain strengths and weaknesses associated Mm. with them. And it kind of feels like 
one of the suggestions that was made was a separation of race and background to mm. separate it into more of a this is your race and this is how you were brought up because again at launch it kind of felt like oh you are playing an orc and orcs are all stronger than everybody else because they're all raised as warriors and it's it's that kind of racial essentialism we've said before mm. about separating that into background so that like elves don't have to be a monoculture anymore you don't have no. to say elves have weapon training in this because they were all raised as elves and they were all taught to fight like this and they all you know every elf goes through this exact same experience and with the separation between race and background they're trying to separate that out now into the features that you have because of the way you were raised which breaks up that essentialism a little bit it's still not perfect and i'm going to come back to at least one example that they've got in all of this about how they still don't seem to be 100 percent learning the right lessons from this mm. but it's better than it was and they're trying can i just think oh go on then I'm going to see if I can eat noodles without the microphone picking it up. Oh, okay, go for it. You can't. The starting point of D&D mm. is originally the perspective of a very essentialist white male. Yeah. Now, that doesn't excuse poor decision-making. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that sometimes there is more of a job to do when you are transitioning something from, holy shit, this person thought women didn't have the brain function yeah, which we've mentioned before. before. Guy yeah, that's why I'm bringing that up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you have to update from that to the current era and the changing understanding, the game was made up, what, in the late 70s? Mm. And we're now in the early 2020s. Yeah. Let's call it 45 years for the yeah. giggles and ha-has. That is a lot to remove and there's so much of it that's the fabric of the game like it was really normal even in the 90s for jam and marmalade to have pictures oh of, good lord yeah of the character mm. on it and like in my brain whenever i see one of those i go oh oh yeah we have to remember that when we have something ingrained into us by society it's been years and years and years, in our case, decades mm. of socialisation, and that we're now trying to unpick. Again, I'm not excusing any of them for making the, the decisions that they've made and using some of the language that they have. I am absolutely not. Yeah, but that's part of the understanding that they are moving in the right direction. Because yeah. again, you know, we have moved from a system which back in like first edition advanced, women had a cap on how strong they could be. Well, I recently read the document from New TSR regarding their version of Star Frontiers. Oh, dear God, that... That was horrific. That's horrendous. It's absolutely horrific. Yeah, if you do go and look that up online, it's bad. Be prepared for it to be really fucking racist. It's racist, misogynistic, homophobic and transphobic. It is absolutely astonishingly awful. Yeah. And props to Dungeons and Dragon, uh, Wizards of the Coast, in their law court filing, in yeah. their court filing, saying we're actively trying to move away from these things which were mm. intrinsic to part of the game at some point. And 
we even removed something because of how badly we fucked up with the Hadozi. I mean, another aspect of this is they've reworked the way the so-called half races now are. You can have parents of two different races. Yeah. And as the offspring of those two different races, you can choose like, I think you can choose the physical features. You you choose the physical features. So the attributes of another. You can mix and match visual characteristics of the two options. So you choose one of the races. Mm -hmm. Should we say ancestries from now on? I think because it says race in here, we're going to have to say race, otherwise it's going to get confusing. But unless wizards change it, there's no point us saying ancestry if people are going to listen to the podcast and then be like... Well, let's put a disclaimer. We are using the terminology of this document. We don't necessarily agree with it. We're saying race, but we're not 100%. So you choose one of the two races from your parents, one of your parents' races, Mm -hmm. and that determines your traits, your racial traits, size, speed, and everything else. And you can just flavour however they look, and you take an average of the two options' lifespan. Mm. So you add them together and divide by two. Oh, okay. So a half-elf, who's half-human, half-elf, would be... Eight, well, I can't remember what the elf is, but you know mm. the lowest one is eighty at humans and like a few hundred at elves. Yeah. So you add them together, divide by two, and that gives you the average age of a half elf. Mm. Going back to humans, <clears throat> so as a human, you have these special traits: you gain inspiration whenever you finish your long rest, mm-hmm. because there are now changes to inspiration, and there is a little asterisk next to inspiration and long rest to denote that there are things later on. Mm-hmm. You gain a proficiency in one skill of your choice. This is in addition to your background. Yeah. Versatile, you gain the skilled feat or another first level of feat of your choice. Which is good because there's no variant human anymore. No. It's just human. And the other point that some people have made is in mainline 5th edition, strictly speaking, feats are optional. Yeah. DMs don't have to agree to them. In this, they've made them. They've made feats part of character creation. They've yep. made them part of the standard rule set, which they were always optional before. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this the other day. Feats can remain optional. If your DM says, look, we're not doing feats beyond first level. You get your first level feat. If you're a human, you get two. Done. Mm. That's it. Okay. It's, it's ASIs from then on in, because otherwise it's far too much for me to think about. I, I wouldn't do that personally, because I love I love it when you yeah. guys take a feat and do cool stuff. But for new DMs, that amount of stuff can be a little overwhelming. Yeah, one of the things that I thought that was interesting about that is it would be interesting to see more feats coming in as, you know, you can only take this feat at your fourth level ASI. This option only up, opens up at your eighth level right. ASI and things like that. That so seems you could, to what they're going for. You could end up with things like Polar Master, which it seemed so good. It was like a, you should probably take it, which is why you hated it. Yeah. You know, if that came in as like, you can only take that at fourth or eighth, it means then you wouldn't have like first level characters bending over backwards to fit it into their build. Yeah. So, anyone paying attention will have noticed that they have actually done this in the second PDF. There are a bunch of feats which can now only be taken at the fourth level or above, including Polearm Master. And it also, it's appropriate for it to be at fourth level, I feel. Mm. Because that means that if your martial character wants to take it, they're getting an extra attack that's yeah. only a d4 a level yeah. earlier, and then they get three attacks. Yeah. You know, it feels like, okay, yeah, I can do it. Oh, I can do it. 
It also makes it easier to balance feats as well, because at the moment with feats being open to any level as they are in 5th edition, you have a problem where something like Shieldmaster mm. is a great feat. If somebody takes that at level 1, that causes a big problem because the saves and resistances that enemies have are quite low at lower levels. So being able to knock someone over with like the active part of the Shieldmaster feat... You know, that causes a big problem at like level one to five, I would think. So if you make that something that you can only get at level four, by level four, I would say the resistances are keeping up to the point where it's not so big a problem. And you can have things where you can introduce a really big seeming effect into a feat. And it doesn't matter that it's not balanced for level one because level one characters aren't going to get it. One of the things that 3.5 used to be a mess with is the prerequisites that you needed Mm -hmm. for feats. And sometimes it was like you needed a certain number in a certain skill or you needed a certain number of levels in certain numbers of classes and it could get a bit messy and it could kind of lock you into that situation where level one to five you're not really playing because you're building your character up to the point where you know at level four you get this feat and then it clicks so you're not really playing for the first three levels Mm. which is fine if like us you're starting a character at level five but if you're playing for those first three levels that can sometimes cause a problem and in 3.5 particularly when you were playing a computer rpg you would have a huge problem where you would be putting points into stats you didn't really want so that when you hit level eight you could take uh it wasn't called war priest it was battle priest or something like that which was the prestige class version of cleric that would be a divine champion So you would be taking all of these feats and things like that that you didn't really want. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea that there are level limitations on when you can take feats. I don't want to see it go back to full 3.5 and that degree of locking you into complex builds. Well, in the um, there is a companion video, just the D&D, not D&D Beyond, but the D&D YouTube channel. It's about mm. an hour and a half long, I think. Maybe a little more. Maybe I started watching it, but then I don't have that much spare time. And is it the one with uh, Todd Kenrick talking to... Jeremy Crawford. Jeremy Crawford yeah. And Jeremy Crawford said, <laughs> we are introducing level restrictions on feats Mm. and we've had a lot of feedback from people going please don't make it like it was in 3.5 yeah (laughs) and and we really don't want to do that because we understand where that came from good so yeah we'll get to feats later on but that comes up because humans get they get a feat of their choice or the skilled feat which is that's three extra four i think three yeah three or four uh, skill proficiencies it is three skills which is mad when you think about it. I'm going to skip down while you uh, look at Ardlings. Oh, okay. I feel like Ardlings are a double-edged sword, which is not a thing in D&D, but still. I feel like Ardlings have been designed, and I'm not using this word in a derogative sense, I feel like they've been designed to accommodate furries who want to play I have an animal head or I have the appearance of an animal. And I think that's fair enough. I think there are a lot of people who are furries and they're into nerd culture. Yeah. And yeah. I think that it's it's a way of bringing that side of things in. However, they have locked the type of animal head you can have to the background. So it means if you are somebody who wants to play as a dog, but you want the Thaumaturgy, Divine Favour and Lesser Restoration cantrips... It says suggested. But that's a conflict right there. The opening paragraph... The Ardling Celestial Legacy determines the animal it resembles. But the Celestial Legacies table, like you say, says suggested animals. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't spot that the heading said suggested animals. So you could go with that and you could, if you want a tiger head, but you want the good cantrips, i.e. guidance, healing word and, well, animal messenger, not so yeah, much. Yeah, I did but... look through this and I found myself going, hold the phone. Are you telling me that if you're the exalted legacy, your paladin becomes amazing? Mm. If you're the heavenly legacy... Um, you get the light country. Yeah, but you get cure wounds for free. Your cleric becomes amazing because you don't have to worry about taking cure wounds. No, that's true. You you now get it for free, so you might as well just take something else. Mm. And are you telling that my the idyllic legacy with guidance, healing word, and animal messenger is amazing for druids because now I get the spells I was going to use for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, like you were saying before about the things that you have hanging on from old traditions. I think there's a lot of people have looked at Ardlings Ard- and gone, well, why don't we have Asimar? Okay, I know what they're going for. Mm-hmm. I really love the like Egyptian god flavour of the animal head on a human body yeah. like thing. I get it. Mm. Just give me mutant or wear person. Just scrap it. Like, give us rules for creating animal-headed people. Yeah. We've got Tabaxi. You can mm. easily reflavor Tabaxi as a dog type thing. We've got Shifter if you're into dogs or wolves or something else. Yeah. We've got Arakokra, you can or Kenku. You can easily reflavor them as something else. I mean, one thing you could do, since it does have the uh, multiple parentage rules now, is you could say you have an Ardling parent and you have a different parent. So you have the half animal appearance of the Ardling parent mm. and you have the rule set of dwarf or whatever okay. whatever rule set we, you We fancy. already have custom lineage. So in my brain, mm. and this might be guided by what I already made up for my home setting, Asimar are when a celestial of some inclination and a humanoid, specifically human actually, of another inclination, yeah. have a special cuddle and out comes a, a, a baby. That is, in fact, how Babby is formed. Yes. Oh. We're having a fight with you today, Frodo. You haven't seen me. I think it's because the missus isn't here. You haven't seen me for a while. This is an informal episode anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be fine. I don't hate Ardlings. Mm. I think they confuse the order of things. Hmm. Are they also supposed to be not celestial creatures, but they're creatures from celestial right. planes they have as there? So the introduction to Ardling says, Ardlings are supernatural beings, so they're not of the replacement for Asimar that some people seem to be mm. reading them as. Ardlings are supernatural beings who were either born on the upper planes or have one or more ancestors who originated there. Their bright souls shine with the light of immortal beings who call the upper planes home. So I think that's designed to be rather than the Greek demigod, like Hercules, son of Zeus, has divine powers in a human form. Rather than being that kind of mould of thing, I think it's very much like you say, they are born on the upper plains, children of gods. Egyptian gods is a very good way of putting it because Mm. we could talk for hours and I'm sure there's entire podcasts about (laughs) the lineages of various Egyptian gods and, you know, who begat who. So I think that's the difference is whereas Asimar are, you know, a little bit of divinity in human form, these things are mostly divine given a little bit of human form. You know, they're they're sort of born on the upper planes, come down here, whereas Asimar were very much 
down here because of something that came down from yeah um, but still that's confusing it could do with cl- with clarifying yeah does that mean that it's like a, a kirin i don't know if they can do this but a kirin polymorphed or shape changed or similar and diddled someone and they had a baby mm. who was a humanoid and then it's just got like a kirin's head <laughs> did a unicorn get busy you know shape changed by accident I mean, this whole situation could have been a lot less confusing if it wasn't for that one sentence, the Ardling Celestial Legacy determines the animal it resembles. If they hadn't done that and it's just choose whatever animal you, you want, want. Mm. then, I mean, if we were building this for the podcast, you could have, like, Death Cleric who looks like Anubis. I think the Egyptian gods is a great way of, of thinking of it. And I think it does add something interesting to the game. I just feel like they've underestimated how much furries attach their identity to a particular animal. And if they read that sentence first, how frustrated a lot of them are going to be at, like, I want to be a cat, but I want these powers. I mean, I'm not going to say that this is totally furry bait. I'm saying wearing a Lucario t-shirt, so (laughs) I can't really talk. I'm not saying that the intent is specifically to get furries in, but I think it's, it's certainly something that a lot of furries will look at and go, oh... But it also fits into that, this might be somewhat inaccurate, but the more Japanese understanding of spirits and the spirit world, because you can have a kitsune, which is just a fox, but there are also depictions of a kitsune as a human being with a fox head and the extra tails, or someone... There's more than one depiction of Mm. certain things. Yeah. I think it's it just confuses things, and I Mm. I don't think Asimar should be in the general rules. Yeah, I th- and I can't we've... quite explain why. No, we've said before on the Ranger episode that there's some, and I agreed with you on this. There are some things of D and D that should be either put in an optional rule section or put in an advanced rule section. I mm. mean, I was, I was saying online that that's, uh, there are so many other problems with this, but if there was like one D and D is the core rules, mm-hmm. and then they release one D and D advanced, and that's like. These are some I really rules. Think we need these are some version. rules that if you want to you can add to your game, but they might slow it down for some people. So consider all of these as bolt-on rules that you can mm. add if you want. What I really want, mm. this is something I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Is I want to kick Janassi, Asimar, Tiefling, etc. out. Okay. I just want plain touched. So they all come under plane touch. They're all just different types. Of and then you touch. just pick a plane. Then we've got the hells. Mm. You've got the... Am I getting this right? The hells and the abyss are the two different ones, aren't they? Yes. That's always confusing because in English you use demon and devil quite interchangeably. And there are very specific usages of those terms in D&D. And mm-hmm. people, get, people get quite upset if you say devil when you mean demon. Yeah. But this Ardling does not allow me to create... Something from the plane of Mechanus. Ooh, that would be nice. Whereas if it was just plane touched, uh-huh. and we went, choose a plane as a list, just mm. a huge list of planes. Yeah. These are your cantrips. This is the skill mm. or something you get extra. Yeah. Cantrips and spells, sorry. And here's the extra skill or whatever you get. I think the argument is that is tiefling, a... tieflings would be more common than other types of plane touched. Yeah. So if you lump them all together, like you had, you know... Let's say you have yet another Morden Canons comes out and that gives you the plain touched, which includes tieflings. I think in the basic rules like this, it's still good to have tieflings okay. because yeah. I think 
with the infernal legacy and the legacy of like the blood war and with the amount that demons and devils and aberrations now try to mess about with the prime material plane i think because of that tieflings are always going to be more common than other types of yeah. plane touched yeah. if the ardling is being added to the core rule set yeah does this now mean that ardlings are more common than asimar yeah and does that also mean if i'm fred the farmer level one mm. and i'm like well i'm gonna go and see some adventure i go into the nearest town and suddenly there's dickheads wandering around with beaks mm. and feathers and shit. I think the other thing about that is, you know, just reading the description there where it says that they, they're either born on the upper players or have one or more ancestors who originated there. And then you give them like the farmer or labourer background. It's it's like, I don't think that necessarily feels as epic as... Again, I keep going back to Pillars of Eternity and that you've got the whole... Oh, I can't remember what they're called. They're called like Godborn or something yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Just looked it up. They're called godlike. But there's all of the different major gods. They have, like, the death godborn look terrifying yeah, yeah. to everybody else. But this is what I'm saying. Why can't Plain Touched be a set of, like, you get to choose mm. one special trait and one set of. Mm. The thing I'm thinking of in terms of, like, the basic rule set for here is I'm just imagining how Plain Touched would look, and you'd have, like, you know, a page for human, a page for elf, six pages for plain touched, you know. Be good. It'd just be a table. It wouldn't yeah. actually be that much. And that's what I mean is I think if in a later supplement they had the plain touched chunk of rules and you looked at it and it's like, oh, wow, so this is how if you want to build a more complex plain touched, yeah, okay. you, can, you can go through and do all this. But for now, a quite common form of plain touched is going to be tiefling. So I think it yeah, makes sense to is have... Is Ardling going to be? I think Ardling, Ardling to me feels very much like they are still experimenting. They are still rounding off the mm -hmm. edges of something they want to do. Ardling at the moment feels like more of an intent than a complete race. Of course, and, so, and we must preface this with all of these rules are susceptible to change, etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about them as though they're real. And that's something that drives me a little bit up the pole. Because when <laughs> people start talking about these things as though, oh, well, rules is written. Like, it's all suggested. Yeah. It says suggested animals in one bit. And in another bit, it says mm. your plane determines exactly what you look like. So so the other thing that I wanted to say about Ardling, mm. and this harkens back to the Aracocra episode, where we said flight is absolutely broken with Aracocra. Angelic flight as a bonus action, you sprout spectral wings for a moment and fly up to a number of feet equal to your speed. If you are in the air at the end of your movement, you fall if nothing is holding you aloft. You can use this bonus action a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Now, what makes me interested about that is I am hoping flight becomes a little bit less of a be-all, end-all unless they're casting the fly spell, mm -hmm. where the cost of that is you're using a third level slot. Absolutely. I would like to see flight be less crazy in the things that currently have unrestricted flight. So this looks like it's a bit more restricted. Do you know what I would have instead? Once per long rest, as a bonus action, you sprout spectral wings for a moment of fly up to a number of feet equal to your speed. You can do this for a number of turns equal to your proficiency bonus. So once a day you get a big flight, mm. the longer you go, the longer you fly. But you can only do that once per long rest. Or maybe even short rest. So I think that's something that works in combat. I'm not sure how that would work out of combat. 
It's a number of feet because equal to your speed. a number of feet equal to your speed. So if you're doing that out of combat in role play, mm -hmm. is what I'm saying, if there is a cliff that is 30 feet up, the DM can then very easily go, okay, yeah, we've used Pythagoras. It's yeah. 30 feet diagonal to that cliff. You can use your one of your uses of flight to get up there. And that's nice and simple. If you start outside of combat, talking about rounds and seconds, that kind of breaks down for the role play side of things. So I think this is a good compromise between the two. And D&D &D is almost always going to sit in that space of compromising between yeah. what's functional in role play and what's functional in combat. I do like the fact that this stops you having an Aarakocra who is just hovering over the battlefield being terrifying yeah. and unkillable. But also, it's not completely unusable for the roleplay purposes. Yeah. And also the fact that they don't have permanent wings. They sprout spectral wings and do this short burst of flight. I like the balance there. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. I hadn't considered those things. Mm. So I'm only going quiet because I'm considering it. That's actually a really good point that I hadn't considered. Mm. Spells, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, your choice. Mm -hmm. For the extra celestial legacy cantrips and spells mm -hmm. and you have resistance to radiant damage which is good mm -hmm. i think that's completely fine yeah the dragonborn and the changes to dragonborn well we already mentioned in the, the gem dragonborn episode that they now have dark vision mm -hmm. which i've always kind of felt was more thematic for the dragonborn and i've always felt like thematically they should have had i realize in terms of balance it's it's yet another race that has dark vision. I mean, as mm. I said there, you get to choose, do I want to have dark vision or do I want to have uh, my breath weapon take up one of my attacks, not my whole action? Mm. And those are your choices. If you're a wizard or a, a caster of some kind, it doesn't really matter whether you've got two attacks or not. Your <laughs> breath weapon takes up one of those attacks. Yeah, uh, It takes up your whole action. So... Now you can be see in the dark. Or if you're a paladin, you go, yeah, don't really need to see in the dark. need to chop things up. <laughs> I don't really have anything else to add to that other than I'm fucking sick of seeing fire on there three times. Yeah, I mean, one... It's a private one, gripe, but... One thing that we've mentioned a couple of times in the first season is wanting to see more things that are number of uses based on your proficiency bonus and then they come back on a long rest. Because mm -hmm. the good thing about that is you get a couple of uses per day, but it scales as you get higher level. Yeah. And I think that's quite nice, whereas... Yeah, absolutely. You can have some of these abilities seem overpowered at lower levels, and then you get one of them a day and it's like... 2d12 which is nothing compared to the damage that you can just put out with your weapon your 10 attacks per round if you're a fighter or whatever ridiculousness it is you know it, it just scales it up a bit and it makes it a bit more usable what's interesting here though is that on a failed save a creature takes 1d10 plus your character level in damage of the type determined by your draconic ancestry hmm. so the amount of times you can use it scales but the damage does not well, it does scale. It just doesn't scale very well because it's plus your yeah, character sorry. level. It, it doesn't scale in terms of dice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 1d10 is... If you're level 20, that's 21 to 30 points of damage. I mean, most campaigns aren't going to get past level 10, but even then, having plus 10, plus, plus 10 to damage is pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Um, it's not, you're not too bad. You know, you're not going to be getting plus 10 from your weapons at level 10, are you? 
it would be doable, but if you've got, you know, you might have like a magic item that gives you an extra d10 fire or something at level 10, but you're not going to have a standard attack that you can use this many times per long rest that's going to be giving you plus 10 damage. So I can actually see more people using the breath weapon attack a lot more Mm -hmm. as a dragonborn. I'm just going to quickly check Fizzbands and I'm going to have a look. Uh, So the breath weapon in Fizzbands is it increases as a cantrip does. Mm. The damage increases as a cantrip does, and it replaces one of your attacks, which mm. is incredible because you basically get the blade singer thing of one of your cantrips as a. That's also really, attack. really cool and thematic because I've said before I love the idea of the hand crossbow wielder where you're sort of fighting one person and you turn around and you just pop off a run. I love the idea of a dragonborn just like dragonborn monk just like punching the hell out of someone just turns around and just roars <laughs> and fire. spits fire all over a field of kobolds. But that's also proficiency bonus times a day. So mm. they've, what's the word I want to Made an amalgamation yeah. of the two. And I've, I'm quite happy with that. I think this might be something that we come back to in the second half. Mm. But they've said that they just want to revise the core rules and then everything else will slot onto that. I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of patching of things like fizz bands where people like D&D Shorts are going to release these videos about like, you can now kill everything with Dragonborn because if you have a fighter with Action Surge... And above level five, you know, action surge, use your multiple attacks, replace them all with breath weapons. (laughs) You know, I I think when you get things like that coming in, I think then they're going to start going, all right, let's, we're going to have to patch that rule from fizz bands. (laughs) I think the idea that, I think it's different for things like fizz bands and Mordenkainen's and stuff like that, because they are largely going to be able to slot on top of the core rules. Mm. With the way Tasha's and Xanathar's modify the core rules, those two books are going to be in a very, very weird place and I'm not sure what's going to happen with them because they're either going to have to absolutely patch the hell out of them to get rid of some of the stuff that no longer works. You know, like if there's something in Xanathar's that says, oh, paladins can do this and then they revamp paladins and that just means that paladins become terrifying. There's so many of those little bolt-on rules in Tasha's and Xanathar's. Paladins need a nerf. I kind of feel like Tasha's and Xanathar's are either going to have to be completely absorbed into the new PHB and then those like the fifth edition versions of them retired. I think their stated goal of not retiring any of the add-on books, I think that is the books are going to have to be either heavily edited or they're going to have to be put to one side. I don't think they can do their stated goal of it's just the core books that change with the changes that they've announced to the rules. The last thing for Dragonborn. Yeah. You innately know Draconic. Hmm. And I actually kind of like this in terms of the law that was presented in Fizzbands. Hmm. The law that's presented in Fizzbands is that Bahamut and Tiamat were the original two beings that created the first world. Hmm. So I like this idea that Draconic echoes through time and space yeah. and is instinctual to them. I think it's all right if you just do it for them yes. and have it as a gift that the echoes of Tiamat and Bahamut have put into the world, that it always echoes through them. When you start to say things like, oh, all elves know elven, all dwarves know dwarvish, yeah. that's starting to get a bit... For that's Dra- something that they Dragonborn said they wanted... aren't specially different. Yeah, it's implied at least mm. that they're specially different, and that's something that they, as a stated aim, they said they wanted to move away from. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. I mean, if you look at things like Skyrim, mm. where speaking to a dragon is part of being a dragon, and if you look at the Tolkienian dragons who liked wordplay and things, mm. the idea that the draconic language is kind of—it's not language as we understand it; it's an inherent. It's an innate thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting 
for one race that doesn't look like a human with pointy ears. Mm. So you could justify it in the same way that like dogs have certain traits of body language. And I think with something that is sort of more beast-like in form, I think that's something interesting to implement. Yeah. I think when you start doing that with humanoids, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah. I mean, Dragonborn are humanoid in terms of their creature type. But yeah, 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 because they are one thing that is explicitly stated as coming from those dragons. Yeah. Yeah. So Dwarf. Dwarf got a big clap on the back. Um, mm. There are no longer hill dwarfs and mountain dwarfs, so you don't get your plus four, mm. uh, four points worth of ability scores, but you do get, I don't know if it said this in the original, but the Dwarven Resilience says, you have resistance to poison damage. You also have advantage on saving throws you make to avoid or end the poison condition on yourself. Was that true? It didn't explicitly say for ending the poison condition. Yeah, I it just said you had advantage on saves against poison. So I think most DMs would interpret that as... Against the poison, not ending the poison condition. I think they, yeah. they would interpret that as anything to do with the poison condition. Because I know there's there's a couple of times when that's happened in our home game where I've, I've just remembered that yeah. I have advantage on saves against poison. So even if you do get poisoned, you have advantage on getting rid of it. Yeah. Which makes sense. I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. Dwarven Toughness, that's now for all of them. I can't mm. remember whether that was just Mount... I think it was just Mountain Dwarf before, wasn't it? Possibly. I don't know the, the different types of dwarves that well. Just it up so I don't look like a twang. Yeah, best two. Yeah, that was originally just Hill Dwarf. Oh, okay. The extra hit point was just Hill Dwarf. Uh, that might be why um, Bodron has such hilly... Hilly. Has such silly hit points. Because he's hilly. Yeah, because ah. he's a hilly boy. Well, he's uh, a valley boy. Uh, Forge-wise, this is another thing. Your divine creator gave you an uncanny affinity for working with stone or metal. You gain tool proficiency with two of the following options of your choice. Jeweler's tools, mason's tools, smith's tools, or tinker's tools. Hate it. Why do you hate it? Either put all the stuff from Xanathar's that tells players what these tools do, put that in the PHB, or get rid of it, because I don't think most people know what to do with tools. You had to tell me, with the Brewer's Tools, you had to tell me to go and read Xanathar's and see all of the things that you can do with Brewer's Tools because I kind of got them and I just said, like, right, well, I'll have those in my backpack because I'm a drunken master monk. And then you were like, no, have a look at what they can do. And there's also things like the the Thieves' Tools. People think that they're just picking locks. It specifically says you have the little mirror on a stick. So I stuck that under the door so that I could have a look into a room before we went in. So I actually read what is included in the Thieves' Tools and I read, you know, some of the uses that it says for them in Xanathar's. Like you can use the little mirror, you can use it to look around a corner so that you don't have to peek around the corner and then have, like, see if any of the monsters have a high enough passive perception (laughs) to see you sticking your, your head around the corner. You know, either... Put it in the PHB. Tell everybody what the tools do. I think we're going to get... It's not going to be in the PHB. It's going to be in the DMG. But we are... I think we're going to get a revision of the tools rules. I am optimistic about the new DMG because I think Chris Perkins is definitely of the school of make this so everyone can understand it and put it in a structure so it's in easy blocks to understand. The DMG at the moment is kind of an info dump. And I say that in an affectionate way. It is just like... A splurge of information. It is it's entirely not easy. It's, a mess. it's not easy to find the bits that relate to combat, the bits that relate to world building, the bits. It, they're not as it, easily it's divided. As though they should have the three pillars of play as three separate chapters, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like that. That might be some. 
the they should, office. Do you know what they should do? They should hire D and D shorts for for playtesting. Oh so that dear he can, God, yeah. So you can come up with all the bullshit and they can go right. Well, we're fucking farming that out right now. Here, here would be my suggestion. Yeah. D and D shorts to abuse the hell out of the new the one D and D rules, and then once they've identified a problem, hand it on to the dungeon dudes to fix it. To fix it, <laughs> yeah, to come up with a fix for it. <laughs> and I don't know D and D shorts' real name. I, I don't know if he avoids using or something, but that lad with the magnificent beard. It's a magnificent beard, it's isn't it? A hell of a beard. It's a hell of a beard. Get on it. Yeah. Right. This is what I do like about the new dwarf. Mm-hmm. Stone cunning. Yes. They've changed it. As a bonus action, you gain tremor sense with a range of 60 feet for 10 minutes. You must be on a stone surface or touching a stone sur- such a surface to use this tremor sense. The stone can be natural or worked. You know what I like about this? What? It's not something that you they have because all dwarves are born and trained to work the stone and know about stone. Yeah. It's not an upbringing thing. You could literally explain this as they have an overdeveloped inner ear yeah. that lets them sense vibrations, or they have something in their nervous system as yes, a part of an the evolutionary body. adaptation. Yeah, yeah as yeah. part of the body that they have. You know, their inner ear can read the the sensation of touch yeah. more in a more nuanced way. Humans have a sense of magnetoception. They have a sense of which way is north. It's just that the parts of the body that pick up on that are underdeveloped, that we could, we don't use that concept, mm-hmm. the, that conceptual model that we have in our head. There was a guy, I'm going to get editing Simon to look this up, but there was a guy who was wearing a belt that gently bright vibrated with which direction north it was. And he said, after using this for a while, he just always had a sense of where, not from stopping and thinking, right, which way is it going? It was such a, an almost imperceptible vibration. But because it was always there, he just developed this, right, that way is north. Like when he was in a place, he would just be like, right, that way is north. So having looked this up, the guy in question appears to be Peter Koenig of the University of Osnabrück in Germany who created a tactile compass belt, also referred to as the Feel Space Belt, which seems to have been tested in the fall of 2004 by someone called Udo Wachter, who is the person who was actually doing the testing. People that have worn the belt have reported that it's more than a sense of just knowing where north is, it's more of a sense of knowing exactly where you came from and having a greatly improved sense of spatial awareness of your surroundings and how the world around you pieces together where you came from and where you're going. Sorry about the dog snoring in the background, by the way. And it's a sense that humans have, but we've evolved out of the sensory apparatus that picks up on it. So I like the idea that this is something that is of the body. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not something that is of the upbringing or all dwarves automatically know about stone. It's dwarves have this yeah. thing that they can use to sense vibrations in stone. Absolutely. Also, just to point out, the wonderful Zoe Quinn, mm-hmm. I believe they're using they pronouns at the moment. Have you got them on Twitter? Do you oh, want to check? I've got them on Twitter. I usually double check. I know they're using they. They've taken it out of their bio. Well, I'm going to go for they because it doesn't say anything else. So yeah. they um, have a magnet implanted underneath their skin. Oh, okay. In their fingertip. Mm-hmm. And you very quickly, your body adapts to being able to read electromagnetic fields. Again, I was reading something about uh, somebody who developed a thing, uh, a second thumb. 
Mm-hmm. It's a prosthesis that goes on the other side of your hand and it gives you an, another thumb yeah. on the opposite side of your hand. And there's people say that once they've been using it, they go to pick things up with the, uh, when they're not wearing it. They go to pick things up with their other thumb or they go to do things with their other thumb without thinking about it yeah. because your brain just adapts to being able to do that. Because we're amazing creatures. Elves. Elves. Love an elf. Yep. Elves get get a thumbs up from me. Yeah. Uh, 750 years on average. D&D elves are long-lived. They're not immortal like so that would Tolkien make, elves. No, that would give an average for a half-elf of 415 years. Mm-hmm. Elven lineage. The lineage of the Underdark. Uh, high elf. The lineages of Fey crossing and other magical locations. Or wood elf. The lineage of primeval forests. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say for drow they've gone ar- arcane magic for wood elf they've gone primeval magic and for high elf but they haven't <laughs> gone they haven't gone mm. divine for them that would have been interesting one of the things that I think is interesting here is elves have the mystical ability to take on characteristics of the environments in which they are bonded drow to the underdark high elves to fey crossings in the material plane mm-hmm. and wood elves to forest so the interesting thing about that is it's not all elves are raised in forests, so they're good at forests. It's they, as a race, have been given a connection to those things. Yeah. So again, it's playing less into all elves live in forests, so they know about forests. It's more they have the ability to bond with a place and take on that. I've just the connection with. That I've just place. seen they have proficiency in the perception skill default. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that already there? I don't, I think, don't that think it was, was there, but it does sound a bit. Uh, what do your elf eyes see? Oh no, that was originally part of it. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they have it always were. Always keen was. Senses. I, I didn't know that. Mm. That's that's cool. I've learned something. Mm-hmm. So Drow get the dancing lights cantrip, fairy fire and darkness. One other thing that I wanted to say is these racial spells have the feature that we said we wanted to see, which is you cast them once for free. And then you can cast them with spell slots. Yep. Which that always made more sense to me. I don't know why that wasn't sort of automatic. I but... know, I know. High elves get prestidigitation or can replace that with a different cantrip from the arcane spell list. Ooh. Which okay. means booming blade for me. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, you get to choose whether it's intelligence, wisdom or charisma. That you cast it from, yeah. yeah so you could add, holy shit, I've just realised something. Mm-hmm. This allows you to pick up Firebolt and put that on a circle of wide fire druid and get Ooh. that extra D8 damage. Nice. Very well, nice. I mean, admittedly, it's like level six or eight or something, but yeah, still. Well, yeah, but then you get the cantrip doubles in power at level five, and then you add a level a D8 to it at level six. Yeah, that's a bit silly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And you can change it per level as well, so you don't have to take it until you hit level six. Can you? Uh, for high elves. Uh, whenever you finish a long rest, you Holy can replace shit. that cantrip with a different cantrip from the arcane. So it's not even when you level up. It's, it's once once you get that feature, you have a nap, you wake up, you know, Firebolt. I'm just thinking of, like, you know, a high elf ranger taking primal savagery. Remind me again, what does Elemental Adept do? Oh, shit. Let's have a look here. That's just popped into my head, is if you add that to that whole mess... I know we weren't supposed to be building characters this week, but... (laughs) Well, you know, fish going to swim. Oh, shit, the bed. Spells you cast ignore resistance to damage of the chosen type. In addition, when you roll a damage for a spell you cast that deals damage of that type, you can treat any one on a damage die as a two. All right, okay. That means that your minimum for a circle of wildfire druid is six. Yeah. 
your minimum doubles instantly. So if, if you roll terribly, wow. You still do six damage. Wow, okay, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the biggest drawbacks about taking Firebolt is fire is probably one of the most commonly resisted things, but they can't resist it because yeah. of that. Yeah, although <laughs> I think we're going to see a change to Elemental Adept that pe- that those with immunity yeah. become resistant. Yeah. I, I think we're going to see that. They just have to find the right language because people will go, well, technically, because it's now resistant, that means I ignore resistant. And, yeah, and yeah. I think there's things like that they're fiddling about with. I mean, when we get to the second half, there's a lot of rules in the second half of this PDF that look like they're quite a take on the way things are done compared to 5th edition. Wood Elf, your speed increases to 35 feet. You also know the Druid Craft Cantrip. Mm-hmm. Third level, you get Long Strider, which is a spell I don't really know much about and I feel as though I should. And at fifth level, you get Pass Without Trace for free. And also, Drow no longer have disadvantage in sunlight, so your entire ridiculous Drow rogue build... Is now more ridiculous. Is even more ridiculous, yeah. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) That's made me happy. It hasn't, actually, because... uh... I thought it, was, it should. I, it was an achievement. I think it was an interesting restriction, the sunlight sensitivity. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Duragar are now going to use dwarf traits. That's just reminded mm. me. Or if they're going to be specifically different. Because yeah. they have been changed by Mind Flayers. Yeah. So I could see them <clears throat> changing. But we'll see. We'll see. Let's move on to gnomes. I think it, the interesting thing about it is if... You know, within the world of D and D, if you were to ask a dwarf, "Are you a Durgar?" they would take great offence. And if you if you were to ask a Durgar, "Are you the same as dwarves?" they would take. So, I think having them as a se- separate races in that at the extent that they would both take offence at being considered the same race. Yeah, I think they're all psychic resistant. Maybe, Maybe. which would make more sense with the mild flow thing. But anyway. yeah, 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 yeah. Moving on, moving on. Gnomes. Yeah. You are humanoid, you're small, between three and four feet. It says about three to four feet tall. That means mm-hmm. we're probably going to get some different calculations for starting sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're just like, yeah, three to four feet tall-ish. Speed, 30 feet. Were they 25 before, or was that halflings? I don't know, because I, I forgot that dwarves had a lower movement speed in uh, fifth. Do they have... Two? They've got 30 foot now. They only had 25, I think, in Almost fifth. There. Uh, dark vision with a range of 60 feet gnomish cunning you have advantage on intelligence wisdom and charisma saving throws mm-hmm. just blanket now I think that used to just be spells yeah saving throws against magic this is just mm-hmm. now point blank mind you it would probably be a magical effect yeah so I'm fine it, that would be using those saving throws so I'm, I'm kind of cool with that that makes sense to me okay Gnomish lineage, you are part of a gnomish lineage that grants you supernatural abilities. Choose a lineage from the gnomish lineages table. Forest gnome, the lineage of magic-filled forests, or rock gnome, the lineage of primeval mountains. Mm. You gain the benefits of that lineage. Intelligence, wisdom, or charisma is your spellcasting ability for the spells you cast with this trait. You know the minor illusion cantrip, and you can also cast speak with animals with this trait. You can cast it with the trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. I love that we're now getting a distinction between what a gnome and a halfling is Mm. and that gnomes are this sort of magically infused race. Yeah, I'm just looking at it in terms of the gnomish lineages table Mm -hmm. where you've got forest gnome is a tiny little chunk and then rock gnome is a massive thing about the little toy that they can create. It is tying it to prestidigitation and you, you determine its effect by choosing one effect from prestidigitation. Yeah. So I know that it's a lot of words, but it's actually a lot less words than if you look at what the original gnomish... One thing that I was thinking 
is when we were saying before about the, the functionality cantrip. So thaumaturgy, prestidigitation and druidcraft are sort of the three kind of functionality cantrips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the moment of the three, prestidigitation is the one that has the better uses. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to rebalance that to make druidcraft a bit more useful. I think druidcraft is going to be made a lot more useful. I think druidcraft needs more of a use because at the moment it is purely a flavour thing. I, I quite like the gnome. I, I have nothing to say on it, um, mm. but I'm now thinking I really want to play a half gnome who's like human height but has mm. gnomish... I don't know if you could do that, but has gnomish There's one qualities. of the feats... One of the first level feats that they mention in here, actually, that is all about sort of construction and and tinkering, not so much in like the artificer sense of tinkering, but more in this gnome sense of tinkering. Uh, Yeah. That kind of seems quite interesting. If this was already there in the PHB, I do apologise, but this flavours the gnome in in a way to me that inspires me more than the PHB did. And maybe it's mm. just it's better written or better laid out, or I haven't, or I'm rereading Gnome and it is inspiring me. But it gives me this sense of almost like a childlike wonder. Because yeah. the, the halfling, halflings are hobbits, right? Originally they mm. were called hobbits in one in first edition D&D. Presumably until Tolkien's estate wandered yeah. in with a big stick that said no. Yeah. That might not be true, <laughs> but presumably. But this flavours them to me more as this sort of childlike wonder, this innate magical sensitivity mm. and a childlike wonder that's what that implies to me almost like um children of the forest from uh, game of thrones mm. they're definitely more a, a they're definitely they're definitely more like world of warcraft gnomes well they, they've re- this is going to show how old i am uh, they've re-established it as having mechanar and they have like the camp outside the ruins of mechanar Nope, put your Twitter down. Obviously, Mechanis is a Draenei thing, and I meant Gnomrigan for gnomes. But they also have their section in the Dwarven City, which has got, you know, Tinkertown. Like, it's all mechanical, and there's huge cogs everywhere and stuff like that. It's very much that kind of flavour, but I do worry that it's leaning more into that. You are a gnome who was raised to tinker with and craft things, rather than this being something that is an innate feature of biology. I see, to me... This flavours it more that they're kind of... Gnomes are magical folk created by gods of hard work, invention, trickery and life underground. Mm. The earliest gnomes were seldom seldom seen by other folk due to the gnomes' secretive nature and their propensity propensity for lairing in sylvan forests, hillside burrows and sprawling warrens under mountains. This now says to me, this isn't just like a not-fat dwarf or a a not-happy halfling. This is now... You can see that dwarves are the smaller counterpart to elves and halflings are the smaller counterpoint to humans. Hmm. And this is now gnomes are the small counterpart to fey creatures or something like that. Hmm. It has that more sylvan flavour. So and that's why you get forest gnomes get minor illusion cantrip and speak with animals. They were always in communication with nature when they were in the, the forests. And the rock gnomes, you know, mending and prestidigitation. Which is pretty good, actually. You get two two cantrips mm. just for free. You know that's what happens when you live underground. Mending is nice to get free in that situation, and mm. the fact that you have that usage for it, like with artificer, obviously 
mending is an amazing cantrip. If you're not an artificer, there's really not that many situations where you can make use of mending. You now have a gnome cleric who can heal the artificer's thing without the artificer having to lose their go. I thought it was just the artificer that could mend their own thing. I didn't realise somebody else could. As far as I'm aware, it just says if you if you use the mending cantrip on it. Uh, I will look. check that. Battlesmith, that's what it's called, Battlesmith. If the mending spell is cast on the defender, it regains 2d6 hit points. It's just if the if mending If it is spell. cast on it, so it's, it doesn't have to be the creator. Nope. Cool. That is good if you know that you have an art- artificer in the party and you can take it then yeah uh, and also use. if you have an auto gnome i think auto gnomes from Spelljammer have that as well okay i know there's uh oh, the the starting Spelljammer adventure suggests an auto gnome companion and everybody who comes in contact with the auto gnome companion seems to absolutely adore the shit out of it so <laughs> mending now has additional functionality i wouldn't be surprised if we see an update to battlesmith where the steel defender has hit dice that mending can use. I, mm. I, that would that would make sense to me. Anyway, halflings cherished and guided by gods who value life, home, and hearth. Halflings gravitate toward bucolic hev- havens where family and community help shape their lives. That said, many halflings are blessed, some might say cursed, with the brave and adventurous spirit that leads them on journeys of discovery, affording them the chance to explore a bigger world and make new friends along the way. Their size, being not unlike that of a human child, helps them avoid unwanted entanglements and slip into and out of tight spaces. So, they live 150 years on average. They're brave. They have advantage on saving those to you make to avoid or end the frightened condition on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have halfling nimbleness. You can move through the space of any creature that is of a size larger than yours, but you can't stop there. I've said a few times I think you can move through a space of something yeah. equal to yours. This might have been what I was thinking about. Luck. When you roll a 1 on the d20 of a d20 test, you can re-roll the die and you must use the new roll. Two things. Yep. They still have the super advantage on that. You know, if you have advantage on a roll and you roll two ones, you can still re-roll one of those ones mm-hmm. using that. So they still have super advantage on that. Secondly, I hate the name d20 test. <laughs> I absolutely despise it. I get what they're going for as a bulk term that includes saving throws... <laughs> To hit rolls and ability checks. We still need those terms. I get that. The, yeah, we still need those terms. I get that they're introducing a new term that bolts all three of them in so that they don't have to keep typing hit roll, ability check, yeah, saving, saving throw. throw. I just hate D20 test. I hate the word test. I, I wish they would find another word other than test. Check. Could be check. Even the word check, I wouldn't have as much objection to. I don't know why. I just think it doesn't resonate very well. It doesn't sound good. And I really, really hope they change that because I don't want to keep having to deal with reading the word D20 test. It's uh, such a petty thing. And I know it's such a petty <laughs> thing, but it's it just doesn't read well. You're also naturally stealthy. You have proficiency in the stealth skill. I don't know if that was automatically there. I don't think it was, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to check. Okay, so what they've done is they've combined the lightfoot halflings. You can attempt to hide even when you're obscured only by a creature that is at least one size larger than you. And they've got rid of the stout halfling uh, poison resistance because it was too much like dwarf. Mm. I do like that these halflings feel more like hobbits. One thing that I'm wondering with that is if that lightfoot 
feet is just any small race can attempt to hide behind something bigger than it because it doesn't feel like something that's specific to a small hobbit it feels like that's something that any short race should be able to do i don't see any reason that that's something that only halflings should be able to do and so i wonder if that's going to be something where it's just a small creature can always hide behind a medium creature i mean if a medium creature can hide behind a large creature that would also be interesting Mm. let's go to the orc there is a big problem with orcs go on in the oldest editions the half orcs had minus one intelligence and plus two strength they've moved away from the minus intelligence but you've still got powerful build in there i don't think that's a good look with what they claim to be going for there are people high up in wizards who don't seem to be getting why racial essentialism is the problem that it is. Mm. And I'm saying this as somebody who I have been trying to read and understand more people who are from more diverse backgrounds saying the problems that they have with it. And the thing that seems to be coming through time and time again is this idea of racial essentialism and you are just like that. I just think because of the problems that they have had in the past... I think it's a really bad look. Okay. Plus the history of the orc as a race and as an analogy in various shittier fantasy series. When you add all of that together, I think it's something that they need to be more careful with. I I can see that. The counter argument to that is always D&D is a system where you choose a race for your character and that does give you different abilities. Mm -hmm. And that's the legacy that D&D is working with. And I think there will always be a temptation to play into that. I'm just saying there's good ways of doing that and there's good ways of explaining that and there's bad ways of doing that and bad ways of explaining that. Just to be fair, the things that I like about the orcs are things like the relentless endurance comes across as more of an almost mystical thing, like I was saying yeah. before. Or, if, you know, if they get knocked down to zero hit points, they can come back up and they can't do that until they finish a long rest. But I mean, how often are you going to... Well, if you come back up at one hit point, yes, you might get knocked down multiple times a long rest, but it's not going to happen that often that you're going to run into it twice in the same day. Mm-hmm. Actually, before we move on to tieflings, there's yeah. one thing here... Mm-hmm. On worlds such as Eberron, orcs were among those who defended the natural order from the encroachments of fiends and other extraplanar threats. Right. Take that, run with it. Yeah, because, I mean, tieflings, you know, with moving on to tieflings, a lot of the problems that the tieflings have had has been in terms of how they are maligned by other races and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, I mean, they've made uh, a conscious effort to turn that around in one D&D and, and really, really strongly move away from that. But the abilities that come with Tiefling come because of a mystical thing. They come because it is something that a god has done to change the world. And with orcs, it still kind of feels like orcs are still not there. Yeah. They're still not there. So, Abyssal Tieflings. Yes. Have horns fur, tusks, black blood, and peculiar odours. Okay. That's common physical features of such tieflings, most of whom have the blood of demons coursing through their veins. Chthonic. Tieflings who have the Chthonic Fiendish legacy not only feel the tug of Carceri, but also the greed of Gehenna and the underworld gloom of Hades. Some of these tieflings look cadaverous. Others possess the unearthly beauty of an incubus or succubus, or they have physical features in common with a night hag, a yugoloth, or some other neutral evil fiendish ancestor. Chthonic is kind of saying product of an incubus or succubus or something that just says fiend but has become a fiend rather than was a fiend from birth. Mm. 
Because that can happen. That's true of Zariel, yeah. I believe. Yeah. She became a fiend. I mean, I think we said this in the Tiefling episode because this PDF had just come out when we were editing it. So I think I edited it in. But it was interesting that you were saying it would be interesting if they split them into different legacies. And that's something that they've ended up... I didn't like that it was only Infernal. That yeah. didn't make any sense to me, why mm. it was only Infernal. But we now have Abyssal and Cathonic. Infernal Tiefling is normal Tiefling. Yeah. That regular Tiefling from the original So PhD if, if you want to do like your, your classic 5th edition Tiefling, you go Infernal. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like the idea that the Abyssal one has horns, fur, tusks and black blood. I like the, like the sense that they're more... Let me choose an appropriate word. <laughs> um... You Primal? Can, bestial? Bestial. Be, prim, you can go for different traits. You can yeah. go for... Like, instead of, oh, you've got goat horns, which mm. is kind of the infernal thing, you can go for, you know, a huge horn on the nose or something. Yeah. Or, or like, Girilon, is that what they're called? No, Garistro. Garistro yeah. tusks. Because they're like giant apes with tusks, aren't they? Yeah. Like, something like that. That'd be kind of cool. Or like a pelt. Mm. That, that's kind of interesting to me. I also like that Chthonic is kind of this looks-based thing. Yeah, you're either really hot or you, or you look yeah, like yeah, yeah, you know, or really like how Christian Bale looks in that movie. Oh, the the machinist. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Machinist. That's I mean, it, it looks bloody awful. You can be you can be small now. Mm. Let's have a look at the fiendish legacies. Oh, you get uh, you know the thaumaturgy cantrip as wrote again. Intelligent wisdom or charisma, your choice. Oh, I see. So all three know Thaumaturgy, but Infernal now get Firebolt. Yeah, I think they've taken something out or added something in uh, to, to make up for that. Right, let's have a look here. I think that's very similar to what you were saying about the Warlock flavour cantrips in the Warlock Yeah, I, I would really like that. Yeah, they've definitely done that for the Tiefling, so I think it would be nice to see if they did that with the, the Warlock class. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't want to see that, by the way. But I think yeah. a lot of people don't want to see that, and I think the reason they don't want to see that is because they like taking Eldritch Blast and loading it all onto Eldritch Blast and then hit level 5 and being able to hit two targets with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, no, I want yeah. a signature cantrip. Anyway, Abyssal gets Poison Spray and has resistance to poison damage. Hmm. You also learn Ray of Sickness at level 3 and Whole Person at level 5. In my brain... Devils make deals, yeah. and demons are that more like I'm just going to fuck something up. Yeah, like hold person almost feels like oh I'm going to magically scare you stiff so that mm. I can come over and beat the crap out of you. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, Chthonic get the chill touch cantrip and resistance to necrotic damage. Mm. If you're paying attention at home, you will notice that the damage that the cantrip deals is what they are resistant to. Yeah, they I just wanted to say with poison spray, I feel like at the moment. Obviously, we haven't seen what the cantrips will look like in one D and D, but at the moment, poison spray is quite a nice one because it's a shorter range, but it's a lot more damage. Oh, okay. I've never it's really fussed with it. It's D twelve poison damage, oh, shit. Right. but it can't inflict the poison, poison condition. condition. But poison is not that widely resisted, not as widely as say poison, fire or any of the elements. Poisoned the condition is not. Poison the damage type is. Undead, almost universally, someone's going to find out. Like, no, there's, there's actually five yeah. that do, and only four. That's why that you don't, say you know. most undead. Yeah, yeah, most undead, as far as I'm aware, are resistance to poison and necrotic. Hmm. You get false life at third level, which makes me happy. I've always wanted a Yugoloth tiefling. I don't mm -hmm. know if I've ever said that before. I really like the idea of Yugoloths. Okay. So if you don't know what a Yugoloth is. Yeah, I was going to say. So, in terms of the Blood War, 
You've got mm-hmm. devils versus demons. Yeah. You've also got the other fiends, Ugoloths, who are just like, I don't really care. I have no stake in this. If you pay me some money, I'll fight for you. <laughs> but uh, it fits more into that kind of, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm going to look after myself. I'm all right, Jack. Yeah. I'll make you worse. I'm going to look after myself. False life, ray of enfeeblement. Mm-hmm. Infernal. You have resistance to fire damage. You also know the firebolt can trip. Again, mm-hmm. if you're a circle of wildfire, infernal tiefling. Third level, hellish rebuke. And fifth level darkness. This is the PHB tiefling with a lick of pain. Yeah. Right. That is all of the races. Is there anything that you want to say about these? I feel like this is an interesting spread of mm-hmm. races because in 5th edition, obviously, you've got like the three basic rules and then you've got the expanded list of races that you get mm-hmm. from the new player handbook. So it'll be interesting to see how many of these are player handbook extra races and how many of them become core races in the free rules. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about Ardling. I think there's still a work in progress. I think yeah, yeah, they, that, they've that, kind of announced announced as far as they've got with them and they've announced them as a thing. I don't know. I kind of feel like they're sort of putting it forward to the community. Like, uh, what do you think of these? And the community's kind of like, oh, I don't know. And I think there's still a lot of edges to be filed off and stuff before they are a race that everybody goes, okay, I am excited to play in Ardling. We already have a celestial-themed race. Yeah. We already have primordial-themed race. Mm. We've got the lawful race with glitchlings Mm -hmm. that's been hinted at in another Unearthed Arcana. Yeah. I want to see the chaotic. Chaotic races. Yeah. Like, what about, like, an aberrant-touched race? Mm. The far-round-touched race. You know, like, even if it's Ukotoa, uh, no, Kuotoa. Yeah, the the weird fish people that the uh, the mind flayers fucked about with, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I think that's that's as good a, a discussion on race. <laughs> I'm even reluctant to use the word because I, 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 like I, I think I, I think there's so there's so much is loaded on the term. Yeah, I mean this is the thing in the real world. Ancestry or ethnic origin is about the best way yeah. that you can do it in situations where it is relevant. Because mm. I'm completely the wrong person to be talking about any of this. I'm aware there are some other people who are talking about these issues, and I may put either in the notes of the episode or put on Twitter. I may put yeah. some links to some Please. other people. And this is where we're going to fade the episode out for a bit because we record this unscripted and this is a pretty huge topic, bigger certainly than either of us. And the last thing anyone needs is more white guys coming up with solutions about race. So if you want to hear a more competent and considered discussion of race in D&D, particularly the problems with orcs and drow, Omega Jones's D&D live panel Black AF discusses these issues far better than we could hope to. Go listen to it now. Seriously, it's powerful. You can also listen to the original Black AF panels, which are archived on Tanya DePass's YouTube channel, which is Cypher of Tear. Links to both of these will, of course, be in the episode description, along with at No Hating Gaming. But with all that said, back to the show. Talking about this far more competently than, than we are. We're yeah. just saying that when you say race in 5th edition D&D, it is a hell of a subject and there are a lot of opinions flying around about it. 
I mean, most of this is going to be cut away. Uh, I think a lot of this is going to be hacked down. I mean, it's a core part of D&D, choosing an ancestry. A, fa- for your, a fantasy yeah, creature a to fantasy be. ancestry. The point that I've been reading from sort of more diverse creators and other voices that have been reading into this and saying what's wrong about it is this idea that it adds up to something that they needed to be more careful when doing this. I know. I, when I first read it, I went, I'm sure it went through. That's another big problem. Is I some, think there's some sensitivity testing. I think there's some stuff that's bypassing the diversity and sensitivity readings. I would love to read it, but there was not the grung. What are the other frog people? There's a, a race of frog bullywugs. Yes, bullywugs. It's not bullywugs. It's actually the Gripley, as redesigned by Graham Barber for Candlekeep Mysteries. The writer who wrote that. Yeah. A lot of his ideas were either ignored or they didn't make it or there were people higher up who were saying, yeah, but we want to do this because it's cooler. And I do understand with the Hadozi, they really wanted to be like, isn't Planet of the Apes great? Yeah. Admittedly, I'm told by other people that Planet of the Apes is problematic in and of itself. If you're being generous, you can look at it as like, yes, they intended a Planet of the Apes homage. And then you read one thing and you think, that's not great. And then you read another thing and you think... That's especially not great with the thing that I just read. And then you read the third thing and you think, shit, no. That's why the sensitivity coordinators and the diversity consultants are so important Mm -hmm. in things like this. And that's why everything needs to go through them. That's why you can't just have a bunch of white guys and uh, to be fair, a bunch of white women as well, looking at these things and going, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. The thing that gets me is we are a two-person team, right? I can barely afford meal deals, okay? I can't afford a diversity consultant. This is the best we can do. Yeah. Companies like Wizards of the Coast, I'm not going to say record profits, but they're making decent profits now. It's not even that they can afford the consultants to check this. They have the consultants to to check check this. this. And it's still making it past them. I mean, if we look at Tolkienian orcs... Hmm. Tolkienian orcs are supposed to be elves Mm. who were twisted and corrupted by the dark powers that they became something different. And the Southrons and the Easterlings both follow Sauron. Yeah. And if you want to look up what the Southrons and the Easterlings look out, fucking watch out. (laughs) All of the dickheads who were up in arms for the wrong reasons about Rings of Power, Mm -hmm. that elf, Arendir, the one black elf the dickheads are getting themselves worked up about, looks the most elven out of all of those motherfuckers. (laughs) The rest of them look like fucking car salesmen from the 70s. <laughs> Elrond yeah. looks like a Skyrim character creator mishap. Oh, really? He's just, if you just go onto Skyrim and you just go to the default wood elf face, <laughs> right? In that respect, yes, he does look like an elf. Elrond but I just, of- and I just want to say, for fairness, he is doing an incredible job acting Elrond. I love the way he plays Elrond. But my God, if you saw Celebrimbor, mm-hmm. if you saw a shot... It'd be, of, it'd be Keller, because well, C is you, pronounced K. Right. If you see a, a shot of Celebrimbor mm. in the new Rings of Power, and you could see it from an angle where you couldn't see his ears, you could show that picture to 90% of people and they would say, that's just a guy. That's not an elf. He doesn't look elven. He's a good actor and the subtlety he's putting into the performance is great. But he's playing it as a human. He's not playing it as like an aloof elf in the same way the guy playing Elrond is. 
going back to orcs. Sorry yeah. to cut across you there, yeah, Simon, because yeah. we desperately need to wrap no, up. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fluffing. You're fumbling. It's okay, because the eventual episode when it comes out is going to be 30 seconds long, and it's going to be both of us saying sorry. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll just replace the editing bing with, like, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, for season two, we should just have that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at the elves. They are magical sponges. They absorb yeah. the magic of the area that they're in. Mm. Dwarves have this developed, either naturally or divinely developed, sense of tremor sense. Mm. It's part of who they are, and then in, that informs the culture, which is different to the culture informing who you are mm. fundamentally. Find something else for orcs to be fundamentally something. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what it is. Lean into that thing you said about fighting demons. Find a way to make that their identity. The law has changed so many times over the editions of D&D. But, like, make it so that the reason that Grumption and Corallon had a fight is because Corallon was too busy fucking about being happy and mm. wasn't spending enough time fucking up demons. Yeah. So Grumch stabbed him. I just think it's such a minefield. They need to be more orcs, careful. Orcs were defenders of the natural order. Hmm. And as elves and dwarves developed within natural spaces, hmm. they came to blows. Yeah. There we go. That's why there's enmity. It doesn't yeah. have to be that they're inherently evil. But like, make it so that he saw the state the world was in and decided to create a tough race that could keep everything that the mm. other gods had made in order. Yeah. Done. That's why they have these inherent traits of being tough. Yeah. Did you make it mystical? Mm. I just want to put a little caveat on that. It's not that I think this is the only idea that goes forward. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're using an example of a better idea that two dickheads came up with on a couch with a yeah. dog. Even if it's not perfect, it's still better than what we're being given currently. It's better than what they've been suggested. And it's still... The ideal thing would be to have a bunch of people come up with a bunch of ideas for things like that and then to have it run through the diversity and the sensitivity coordinators. Yeah. So I'm actually going to end this on a positive note. Yeah. There is a little piece at the end of Tieflings of Many Worlds. Yes. The earliest tieflings joined ranks with non-tieflings to repel fiendish incursions on many worlds, earning the trust of those who might otherwise have mistaken them for fiends. Thanks to the victories and sacrifices of these legends, tieflings throughout the multiverse enjoy widespread acceptance. Yeah. If I could end on anything, there are positive changes that they've yeah, made. there are. The fact that they've separated race from background. Mm-hmm. Your starting stats are justified by your background, background yeah. not by your race. So you don't have, you are an orc, you naturally have plus two strength. Mm. I think it was third edition they did away with negative mm. modifiers for races. No, it was in four, It was in fifth. It was in fifth in Volos. Oh, was it? Okay. I swear down. More up-to-date versions of Volos have removed it. Yeah. And the version on D&D Beyond has removed it. But yeah, it and was, Tasha's, it well, Tasha's took the first steps towards saying, you can change those around, mm. the, the bonuses that you get from your race. Whereas one D&D, they've just changed it now so that whatever pluses you get to that, you get them because of your upbringing and the things you did mm. in your upbringing so they're individual choices there's no more you know like we were saying with that spell tsr thing oh star frontiers that's an exaggeration of the worst of what yeah. D used to be and then like i say with tasha's they took a step away from that with one D, they've taken a big step they away are from that. they are walking away and that's all we can say anyway yeah. i hope you enjoyed this 20 minute episode of the builder part workshop yes <laughs> All half an hour of both of us apologising. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
there are steps being made in the right direction. We will see you for the next one. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to do another bonus uh, looking at the other things in 1D&D. &D. To clarify, bonuses will be available on the free feed. Yep. We don't intend to hide bonuses behind the Patreon, which we now have. But we're going to do another one talking about the feats and backgrounds and the changes to the rules. Uh, so we're going to do another one of those and... Cuddle the dog. Yeah. All right. Bye. All right. That was part one of our discussion of D&D &D 1 and some of the changes we'd like to see. Obviously, this ended up a little heavier than we intended, but just to end on a positive note, since we recorded this, there have been two big updates on the D&D &D Beyond blog. The first is that going forwards, everything will be run past external cultural coordinators before publishing. Chris Perkins confirmed that it used to be at the discretion of the project lead, which certainly squares with Graham Barber's experience with the Gripley and Candlekeep. Secondly, they're suggesting replacing the word race with the word species. A few people online have pointed out problems with this, but the point is they've clearly signalled an intent to move away from the word race. This does seem to be something that they're open to feedback with, so if you have an informed opinion to share, let them know. All that said, this has been the difficult first half. On to the second. This has been an episode of the Bilderbard Workshop with myself, Stephen, Simon and Frodo the dog. All properties and settings belong to the relevant parties. Produced by Stephen Simon and edited by Simon. Music is Dancing at the Inn by Kevin MacLeod and is available at freepd.com. Follow us at anchor.fm slash Bilderbard, at Bilderbardpod on Twitter and TikTok, facebook.com slash Bilderbard, and r slash Workshop on Reddit. Thanks for listening, and have a lovely game. And then I'll edit that into the end of the episode, you going bomb, 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 bomb. Brilliant.